Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I am constantly amazed when reading through Scripture how much stuff I am liable to miss on the first pass. It never ceases to amaze me. Our gospel reading for this morning picks up right where last week's reading left off. In fact, it appears to all be happening within the same event. Jesus is talking about the concept of being clean on the outside and filthy rotten on the inside. Last week's reading covered the idea that there is a difference between external actions and internal faith. A distinction between lip service and true worship, between religiosity and spirituality. He declares again what is written in the prophet Isaiah where God says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching the commandments of men as if they were divine doctrines. What the Israelites were in need of was an inside-out transformation, as we heard so clearly from Dr. Bill's message last week. Each and every one of us face that very same need. In fact, I have said this, this next phrase here so often that you might be sick of hearing it. But the truth is, is that we as a church exist only for imperfect people. Jesus said that he came not for the righteous, but for the sinner. Just as a healthy person is in no need of a doctor, but only the sick. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. We do not allow perfect people at St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church. The only perfect person welcome here is Jesus. Jesus didn't come for people who got it all figured out and people who have it all together. If some days you just feel like your life is an uncontrollable mess, if you feel like you'll never be able to overcome that secret sin that haunts you, that abhorrent habit that rules over you, that grudge that you simply cannot drop, if you feel like you'll never measure up to God's standards of perfection and holiness, well, guess what? You're right. But if this is true of you, and you are, in fact, a sinner in need of total and absolute transformation and forgiveness from the inside out, then rejoice. Rejoice because Jesus declares that he has come to earth specifically to save you. If you're not a sinner, just go home, because Jesus didn't come for you. And one of the core things about our approach to the Bible as Lutheran Christians is to see everywhere in Scripture as law and gospel. The two main teachings of the Bible are law and gospel. Everything in Scripture is one or the other, but some, and sometimes both, depending on how they function. We could spend hours discussing the fine points of dividing them and how this works. In fact, that is a big chunk of our seminary education. But for our purposes today, there's a couple of simple two-word definitions that will serve our purposes. You ready for a two-word definition of the law? You must... 
A two-word definition of the gospel. God did. You got it? You must is the law. God did is the gospel. Gospel simply means good news. The law is any word in scripture that requires anything of us whatsoever. The gospel is what God has done in Christ to fulfill that need. This is why we hold so firmly to the words of St. Paul in Romans chapter 3 where he says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. The law makes demands of us, which we in our thoroughly corrupted sinful state are unable to fulfill. A couple verses later, Paul continues, For there is no distinction. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified, justified meaning declared righteous, by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Every single thing that the law of God demands of us, that is absolute perfection and righteousness and holiness, everything God demands, he supplies to us in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's really a great exchange. All of your sin and brokenness and wretchedness in exchange for the perfection and righteousness of God himself. When God sees you, he sees you as being perfect, as in the same way that Jesus is perfect. Everything Jesus did is credited to you as if it were yours. This is what we mean most often when we use the term gospel in this sense. Yet there's also another usage of the term gospel, and it refers to a written account of the life and ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus. As in your Bible, you'll find Four books called Gospels. The Gospel according to Matthew, the Gospel according to Mark, the Gospel according to Luke, and the Gospel according to John. It's a written description of the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But not every single word in those written accounts, including Mark's, Mark's Gospel today, is, quote, good news. Gospel. Jesus himself often speaks words of law to his hearers, to serve a greater purpose, and he speaks them to us as well. But the document as a whole, Mark's gospel from beginning to end, serves to show the work of Jesus in order to save us from the crush and free us from the crushing demands of the law. So it's Sundays like these where I always have to chuckle at the end of the gospel reading when I say, This is the gospel of the Lord. Right? And those of you who know what the word gospel means have to laugh along with me. Because in verses 14 to 23 that we just read, there's not a single word of good news. <laughs> Jesus speaks law the entire time. He speaks words of judgment. But it doesn't mean the gospel is not to be found there. What Jesus does here is to cut deeply with the law of God to point out the fact that our external observation of the law cannot change the heart. Things done on the outside cannot change the content of a person's heart. And so, in fact, Jesus employs toilet talk to make his point. Did you catch this on the first try? You might not have picked up on it at first. I've stood in, in and out of this pulpit and, and the other one in the other building over the last 11 years, and I didn't always pick up on stuff like this 
at first glance, and I didn't even do it this week. He says, don't you see that whatever goes into a person from outside, meaning food and drink, cannot defile him, since it doesn't enter the heart, but enters the stomach, and is expelled. <laughs> in Greek, check this out, here's your Greek lesson of the day. It says, it's not as polite in Greek as it is in English. It says, and travels into the toilet, into the latrine. Enters his stomach and travels into the latrine, Jesus literally says. Do you see what he's getting at here? It is okay to chuckle at this a little bit. I think that is, in, in fact, part of Jesus' point. It's not what you eat, whether you're keeping kosher or not, that defiles you. So whether you're keeping kosher according to the Old Testament food laws, or you're chowing down on bacon and shrimp, yum, It all ends up in the same place. Now, I'm going to use a four-letter word here that is going to make every child and child at heart in the church giggle. And you can mark your calendars for this. Today is September 2nd, 2018. You will always remember the day the pastor said poop. <laughs> Everything that you eat, whether kosher or not, will eventually become poop. The result of all of your efforts, everything that you do in the end is the same. This is why St. Paul would later state in Philippians that all of his earthly righteousness, everything that he did and everything that he was, he was blameless in regard to the external observation of the law. He had the best education. He lived in a way that was absolutely in accordance with God's law. And he said that everything about his earthly righteousness was skivalon compared with knowing Jesus Christ, his Lord. And skivalon is an old Greek word that means the same thing as what I just said, except not as polite. It's a form that you find in ancient Greek graffiti in bathrooms. It's the word that starts with shh, not the word that starts with <laughs> Everything about his earthly righteousness was that in comparison with knowing Jesus Christ. It really makes a lot of sense. Food is simply one example of human effort and righteousness. You see, for the Israelite, the laws given by Moses concerning food were of paramount importance to their cultural identity. And in fact, they still are for Jews all around the world today. The food laws given in the Torah by God through Moses serve primarily as an example of Israel's unique identity among the nations. If they seem rather arbitrary at times, it's because they are and intended to be. No pork, no shellfish, some animals are considered clean, some animals are considered unclean. God is the one who makes the determination, and that is scandalous. Why some and not others? We don't like that. We like things to be fair and equal or merit-based. But God just arbitrarily picks some over others. Israel is unique among the nations only because God said so. 
He picked them to be his very own and set them apart for his purposes. That, my friends, is the exact definition of holiness. Being picked and set apart for God's purpose. Now, as to whether or not the kosher laws serve any health purpose or not is besides the point. Plenty of hucksters will sell you a book about biblical diets that is total nonsense, and they're just using and abusing your Christianity. My Old Testament professor, Dr. Paul Robbie, was very adamant about this point. The biblical food laws were about the particularity of Israel, not about the food itself. In a way, you can take these kosher laws as being representative of the entire ceremonial law of Israel. Every outward thing that was demanded of Israel was never intended to save them. You see, in fact, God gave his law to Israel after he had saved them from slavery in Egypt. Keeping kosher and the washing rituals and all the things that you see the Pharisees obsessing about here... All of these various ceremonies of Israel were meant to display God's singular selection of Jacob's sons and as the family and people of God, the people who would bring the Messiah into the world. And here he was in the flesh, and he was here not just for Israel, but for everyone. You see, Mark adds a nice little note here in his gospel, thus he declared all foods clean explaining what Jesus had meant. The era of particularity where God only dealt with one group was coming to an end. It came to its fruition in the one man, Jesus Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. He was God's chosen Israelite, sent <coughs> to redeem the whole world. Give me a second. And just like that, Marco Rubio will never be elected president. Because <laughs> he took a drink during a press conference. <clears throat> Jesus was God's chosen Israelite sent to redeem the whole world. Before long, not only would all foods be declared clean, but all kinds of people, even Gentiles, even you. This cleansing was something that only God could accomplish because it was from the inside out. It's as if Jesus were saying here, it's not food that makes you dirty. It's the things that are inside of you already. The things that come out of people's mouths and their actions are the things that originated in their filthy, rotten hearts. There's quite a list here. Evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness. We expect all these kinds of things in laundry lists of sins. But Jesus cuts it even deeper. Deceit. Did you stretch the truth a little bit? Sensuality. Envy. Slander. She wouldn't know anything about that. Pride, foolishness. Every single evil thing comes from within a person. And these are the things that defile a person. The heart is in absolute and desperate need of healing and cleansing. 
Jesus knows precisely what is in the hearts of mankind. There's a book that I read every year, or at least I start reading it. I don't always get all the way through. It's called The Hammer of God. And it deals with issues just like this one, as we're discussing today, in the life of a small parish in rural Sweden, in three different areas of history. In the second, a fiery young pastor shows up to serve as the assistant to a veteran pastor, whom the young pastor perceives to be a little lax in his practice of the Christian faith. The old man is smoking his pipe and enjoying a fine Lutheran beverage in the parsonage. And the young pastor just wants to make it clear what sort of a Christian he is. I just want you to know from the beginning, sir, that I am a believer, he said. His voice was a bit harsh. He saw a gleam in the old man's eyes which he could not quite interpret. Was approval indicated or did he have something up his sleeve? The rector put the lamp back on the table, puffed at his pipe, and looked at the young man a moment before he spoke. So you are a believer. I'm glad to hear that. What do you believe in? Friedfeld, who was the younger pastor, stared dumbfounded at his superior. Was he jesting with him? But sir, I am simply saying that I am a believer. Yes, I hear that, my boy. But what is it that you believe in? Friedfeld was almost speechless. Don't you know, sir, what it means to be a believer? The old man said, that is a word which can stand for things that differ greatly, my boy. I ask only what it is that you believe in. And Jesus, of course, answered Friedfeld, raising his voice. I mean, I mean that I have given him my heart. The older man's face suddenly became as solemn as the grave. Do you consider that to be something to give him? By this time, Friedfeld was almost in tears. But sir, if you do not give your heart to Jesus, you cannot be saved. You are right, my boy. And it is just as true that if you think that you are saved because you give Jesus your heart, you will not be saved. You see, my boy, he continued reassuringly as he continued to look at the young pastor's face in which uncertainty and resentment were shown in a struggle for the upper hand. <clears throat> you see, it is one thing to choose Jesus as one's Lord and Savior, to give one, him one's heart and commit oneself to him, and that he now accepts one into his little flock. It is a very different thing to believe in him as a redeemer of sinners, of whom one is chief. One does not choose a redeemer for oneself, you understand, nor give one's heart to him. The heart is a rusty old can on a junk heap. A fine birthday gift indeed. But a wonderful Lord passes by and has mercy on the wretched tin can, sticks his walking cane through it, rescues it from the junk pile, and takes it home with him. That is how it is. And now you must understand that these two ways of believing are like two different religions. They have nothing whatever to do with each other. A fine birthday gift 
indeed Jesus. Jesus takes our old, rusty, tin can, junk heap hearts and makes them into something completely new. It's a process that we aren't always aware of, and when we are aware of it, it often is painful. But it's the important thing is that he picked you up and brought you home, even when your heart was worthless junk. He chose you to be a part of his very own flock for no other reason than that he wanted you. And throughout our lives in his household, he continues to make garbage people like me and you into works of art. Set apart to display his love and his mercy and his glory to the rest of the world. The Lord said through Moses in our Old Testament reading, keep these commandments and do them. For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Our devotion to God's word and our attempts at keeping his commandments are not for his benefit, but for our neighbors. The Lord has kept and will always keep his promises. Promises to redeem you and to save you. Promises to give you a heart of flesh and not of stone. And to bless and keep you forever in his household as his beloved children. You have been made new from the inside out by the death of Jesus. God's only son. God's chosen Israelite and God's promised Messiah who is treated as if he were garbage and excrement on your behalf so that you may be his own and live with him in his kingdom which has no end. Amen. And now may the peace of our God, which surpasses all human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Would you please rise as we confess our faith? In the words of the Nicene Creed, I believe in one God.